reading my brand new book, Twin Peaks Unwrapped. The book, me and my co-host Ben Durant wrote this last year and is now finally out at bluerosebag.com. This book contains over 100 interviews with cast and crew, community commentary, and of course, us. For example, here are some of the fine folks you'll find in this wonderful book. Krista Bell, Charlotte Stewart, David Patrick Kelly, Jim Belushi, John Neff, Scott Frost, Cheryl Lee, Matthew Lillard, and the one, the only, Kyle McLaughlin. So get your copy today at bluerosemag.com. I'm Mark Frost, and you're listening to Twin Peaks Unwrapped. Welcome to Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is... Brian Kazaska. Hi, Brian. Hey, Ben. How are you? Good, good, good. And we are finally at the day where we get to talk about the final dossier. We put an episode out having the wonderful and gracious Mark Frost on. He gave us his time, and people were like, I can't wait to hear the, you, you guys talk about the book. Yeah. And the time is here. We enjoyed this book. I did. I did too. I yeah. really loved it. I mean, it's over twenty-five years coming, and I fi- we finally got answers, and I love it. And it's it, maybe it's Frost's answers, but I'll take it. Yeah, it's co-creator of Twin Peaks, giving us what we always wanted. And you know, after I read it, I texted you, Ben, and I was like, "Man, Mark Frost is like the soul of uh, Twin Peaks," and in a sense that like Lynch is the. Um, He's the he's the artist. He he will make things abstract, but then you have Mark Frost who comes in and grounds things. And yeah, gives us mythology and uh, all that stuff that we really we really enjoy. And I feel like that's what he's always done. And we go back to the first season, and we have this red room, and it's I believe it's Mark who's really giving us answers. That well, let's explain what this red room is, and it's mm-hmm. connected to Jacques' red curtains in the, the cabin. cabin. And he 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 said, you know, there's always music in the air. Well, there was a record player in Jacques' cabin that was 
was playing music. Over and, he's and, over. Like, yeah. and he's like, oh, my arms bend back. Well, you know, Laura's arms were tied up and they were bent back. So he he gives us answers to this abstract artwork of Lynch. And I love that. I love yeah. it. I think that's what they, they work so good together. Lynch is the dreamer and Mark Frost is the grounded... Realist, maybe? Realist. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you have the dreamer and the realist come together and then make beautiful artwork. Right. They complement each other. And I think it's always been a blurry line about who is more responsible for what. And I like that not knowing. And Frost says there it's a it's a partnership. It's a partnership. Yeah. But we kind of an inkling about where what Frost does, and we have an inkling what Lynch does, because this book kind of gives us an idea that Frost is giving us these characters that we missed in season three. It's right. kind of cool. It is really awesome. And so we are so lucky that we've got two guests on the show today. It's we a doozy. It's a doozy. We get to John, talk to John Thorne, and we get to talk to Joel Bacco about the book and about all these theories about Twin Peaks. All right, we're on the phone with John Thorne. You know him from the Wrapped in Plastic work and from the Blue Rose magazine, and he is the godfather of Twin Peaks. Hi, John. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Mark Frost on your podcast said... I was the keeper of the flame. I the think keep- I'm going to go with that. The <laughs> keeper <laughs> of the flame. <laughs> the keeper of the flame. We need like condensing that ke- keeper of the flames. Flame keeper. John, the keeper. The flame keeper. I don't know. I, I picture like the internal <laughs> Twin Peaks flame outside uh, your house, John. Like yes, a little I po- do. Yeah. I maintain it. Yeah. I maintain this, uh, yes, the eternal what, flame. What an honor, though. Uh, Mark Frost giving yes. you that title, huh? I mean, uh, You know what? You guys totally, totally blew me away with that. And I was uh, quite surprised and uh, honored and humbled. And so I thank you publicly already thank you via text but yeah. thank you for putting that show together and and getting all those great people to comment on wrapped in plastic it was a real surprise and and uh, very much appreciated so thanks that's awesome yeah. i know as soon as you mentioned you you were talking about wanting to do this show it's like oh, i gotta get everybody i can get find it as quick <laughs> as possible and i said mark frost is a hard get but yeah. Like, I, yeah let's just go for it and see if we can get him to talk so that was awesome it i was really love cool. that show that's a really special show it, it is really that cool. was no that was really just amazing and he had harley payton on and he, he just made me laugh because he said i used to get wrapped in plastic to find out you know what Twin Peaks meant. Like, they tell me what it means. This so, is the uh, producer like, of the wow. show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty impressive. So uh, again, thank you for You're that. Welcome. That yeah, was great. So, awesome. <clears throat> so we are here now to talk about Mark Frost's new book, The Final Dossier. What's your first reaction yeah. of it? Yeah. Uh, you know, I'll tell you, my first reaction was this was the book I wanted to come out in 1991. You know, this was what we were all hoping for when uh, the series ended in, you know, in 1991. We didn't know what was going to happen. And everyone said, well, there ought to be a book that kind of tells us where things go. And I felt like I was, you know, back in time, Mm -hmm. especially reading, you know, I think the first one is Leo Johnson, you know, what happened to Leo. And, you know, from that perspective, for getting some season two clarified, I was really very, very happy to see Mm -hmm. them, you know, spell out some of the things that the new show, either they just didn't need it or feel like it was part of their, their story for season three. So that was great. Totally. I think, Brian, you and I probably feel the same way. Yeah, I mean, I texted Ben as soon as I finished it. This is some of the stuff I wish was in season three. Yeah. And I kind of missed Mark Frost. Um, He's very good with the mythology of the stuff you love from one and two. And I was like, oh, man, this is the stuff I was missing. And I really enjoyed it. (laughs) And it's really about the characters. I mean, that's what it's all about. Yeah, going back to the well of characters we missed in season three. 
It was really enjoyable because yeah. of that. It really had a season two vibe yeah. for me. I mean, yeah, it, it yes. really did. And, it, you know, I mean, season two gets a lot of criticism. And there are, are things about season two that maybe deserve criticism. But there's so much good stuff in season two and so much of that mythology about the Dweller on the Threshold yeah. and the, mm-hmm. the Black Lodges and the White Lodges, you know, gets introduced. And, of course, the Windham Earl story is haunting the whole season. And so, you know, it was kind of fun. Again, it felt like I was back in 1991, back in season two. Too, which was really a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. And to have it from the co-creator of the show to have these words in print. I, I love it. Yeah. 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 You, you mentioned Leo Johnson. That was like the autopsy. It was one of the first things in the book. I liked it. I mean, it kind of got it that he was killed by five gunshots and that spiders didn't kill him. Because <laughs> we all knew the spiders didn't kill him. It's interesting. I, I wasn't sure what had happened there because I'm very familiar with the original script for, mm-hmm. for episode 29. And the way that script if I'm not mistaken, I haven't looked at that in a long time, but if I'm not mistaken, they actually script a scene for Leo. Yes. Doesn't Hawk goes into the cabin and then there's gunshots. Now, obviously, that's not what happened in the, the final dossier, but there was this whole scene. I've got a little synopsis of the unseen Twin Peaks. Oh, so I think I know about that. <laughs> <laughs> that's all wrapped in plastic. But, but yeah, the script has Hawk and Major Briggs right. going to the cabin and Leo says hi. Like he, So he sees yeah. them when they enter and he says, high and that releases the spiders. spiders outside the cabin you hear gunshots so they're basically shooting all the spiders it does remind me of that because like oh did hawk and major that's, Briggs shoot leo i mean but what that, honestly that's the first thing i thought of i'm like well, why, why what why would hawk do that because i obviously we're talking about a scene that technically doesn't exist that you know it never got shot from the episode 29 so obviously frost altered it and and has made it so that apparently windham earl was the culprit mm-hmm. uh, behind that so and what tammy so. says is she says it's definitely like the way the position and the way the aim is very much standard like agent style of shooting right. some people only think well it could also be mr c maybe because he's i did think that too yeah yeah but i hmm. didn't really why and for any reason at all would would he do that leo johnson's not on his mind probably yeah, yeah. but yeah. Maybe you could, you know, potentially you could you could make a case. He's got out of the Glastonbury Grove and he's walking along, and he's he's Mr. C now, so he's going to shoot Leo. <laughs> and and some some, some people think it, some people think uh, Wyndham Earl's case with his computer in it it looks similar to the case hmm. that Mr. C has in that um, motel. It did. It sort of did. I don't know. So I don't know. Would you have blue rose case files, or you'd have other type of documents related to the mythology? But it was updated. So I don't know, because his was a newer computer, and the old one was like, Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was like Windows 95. So this book is all done through Tammy, Tamara's point Mm -hmm. of view. I do love that she starts off saying, Mm -hmm. I am the archivist now. So I like that Mm -hmm. in the sense that, like, okay, this is her dossier. Yeah, yeah. Right. Her words. Yeah. Yeah. The book is broken up into 18 sections, which reminds mm-hmm. me of 18 parts in the in Absolutely. The uh-huh. There's some people that have a lot of problems with the dates and there's they feel there's inaccuracy. Sure. For me it didn't bother me. I was just enjoying right. I was just there for the journey. Yeah. The only thing I was a little bothered by is the Shelley Johnson that talks about how Bobby and Shelley were together in elementary school and that they uh-huh. were dating before Bobby dated Laura and that Shelley got yeah. jealous. Shelley and I are together, okay? We have been for a long time, since before Laura died, 
before and after Leo went into his drool mode. I always felt like from the pilot they were kind of a new love couple. So it felt yeah. it felt weird to me to be like, oh, they've had history right. all these years. But that's just my preference. I just don't think that. That didn't take me outside of the story. I still enjoyed it. There were a couple of instances like that in the book that uh, it, it almost seemed like, well, it's not necessary information. I guess it embellishes yeah. their backgrounds a little bit. But uh, yeah, it kind of it kind of changes the tone or the colors the the way you would look at it the next time you go watch those early episodes, um, it, it does. Yeah, but you know what? It, Twin Peaks throughout the entire run, from the <laughs> beginning to season three, there's inconsistencies. There's, and I think some of them are deliberate. And I think some of them are just purely oversight. Some of them are just time has passed and, and mm. they've forgotten it. And so, you know, none of the books sync up necessarily exactly. You know, true. The, the Secret Diary doesn't, the, the autobiography doesn't. And so neither of Frost's books, you know, you know, exactly. But you know what, though? I mean, that's not what Twin Peaks is, really. It's not no. Star Trek. It's not right. like we've got to make it all fit exactly right. It, it has this ambiguity all around it. And in many ways, it's kind of like this is Frost's version of it. And yes. it's a legitimate version, but it may not be the only. You, you, could, you could argue that, well, you know what? I want to read it a different way. Yeah. yeah, and I don't think Frost would mind at all if you mm. did that. He said, "You know what? I'm not that I'm rejecting it, but I'm just kind of like that's a really interesting take on it." And now, but I think it, it, it kind of has a, this other take. So anyway, that's how I feel about the whole the whole thing. Yeah, I agree. So, I agree. Yeah. they stand on their own. You know, th- their right. own things. You cannot read the book, and you're totally fine. You can read the book. Oh, sure. And it yeah. will add and yeah. or subtract to what you're feeling are, but it doesn't take away from the show in any way. Yes. Yeah. I guess my only concerns about the book, if you even want to call them concerns, was that I, I wasn't ready. I'll just put it that way. So I'll make it a personal thing. I wasn't ready for too much detail about season three so soon after season three mm. had ended. So, so when I'm talking about season two, it's 25 years later. And I'm yeah. finding out about Leo and I'm finding out about Wyndham Earl and I'm finding out about that. And that I'm just thrilled. But then when we start talking a little bit about stuff that happened in the sheriff's station and Freddie Sykes with the, the green glove, and I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah. well, I haven't even processed it yet. Yeah. I, I really am still working my way through a lot of how it works and what it means to me. And in some ways, I would have preferred to wait to have read that. I read mm-hmm. it and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, you know, I kind of want to put that out of my mind now. I don't really need everything defined for me. It had to come out eventually, and that was a great time for it. You might as well, but if I had known, I might have waited on those sections a little bit. Yeah. Does that make any sense? It makes I agree. Sense. But, I agree. Well, here's the funny thing. I feel similar, but different. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I there was a part of me that was angry about the ending and frustrated, and I had so many emotions when it ended, because... Mm. It almost felt like not satisfying because you didn't – everything wasn't tied up. I don't know why I ever expected Twin Peaks to ever tie up things and yeah. feel satisfying. I was processing it as well. And then I read this book, and I don't feel like it's the end-all, be-all. But I read this book, and I was like, oh, I feel so much better. I almost feel like relieved. It's like, okay, there are some kind of answers out there. They might not be the right answers, but they fe- it feels good. And now I kind of feel better about the series. It's like, oh, I can't wait for the Blu-ray to come out and rewatch this because huh. I have yeah. – I have an- I can almost go – in this and now and just enjoy the series for what Lynch did and know that at least Mark Frost tried to give some answers. So for me, it was kind of like a relief. It's like, ah, like, uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, t- I'll tell you what, you know, along those lines, I've been watching the show 
a lot. So I've, I've watched the whole thing probably four times. Wow. Now, not wow. straight through, but I mean, you know, I'm going through it episode by episode and writing about it. I mean, maybe an unusual situation because a lot of people who've read the new book have probably only seen the series the one time week to week and haven't had time to go back and watch it a bunch of times. And so, yes, I think there was so much ambiguity in, and curious incident in the, in, in the way it ended that the book kind of puts the framework around it and makes it stand a little more firmly for some people. Um, I had been watching it so much that I had developed a lot of ideas and theories, and uh, I still want to pursue those. I still mm-hmm. want to go, and I think Lynch probably is open to it, different interpretations, and, and so I'm still going to pursue some of those. But while I'm watching the show, there are a lot of things that are hard to piece together, like Ray Monroe. Exactly who <laughs> Ray Monroe is working for. Definitely. It seems like Philip Jeffries, but then later Cole says he's, he's an informant, and so Frost was clarifying some of those things that were happening in the margins mm-hmm. in this book, like Raymond Rowan. I was like, okay, probably could have done it if I watched it another time through. But, <laughs> but it was like, okay, all right, he did it. This is what they intended. And so at least it's a reference so I can go back and go, okay, Raymond Rowe was, was this, and I understand a little better. So, so in that respect to season three, some of that plot line kind of got lost to the sides a little bit was pieced together for me in in the new book yeah yeah sylvia i told you to stay home what are you trying to do to this family daddy you're my daddy you're my daddy you're my daddy daddy leave my family alone now will will Section two, Horns and Haywards. You get more understanding of what happened after Ben yeah. hit his head and... Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I was trying to read between the lines and it's like, did uh, Benjamin maybe say, no, no, don't take the fall for this, Doc. Um, just say that I fell, I tr- I slipped or something like that. Because since Doc is covering this all up, he makes an excuse for it. He, mm-hmm. he rewrites sure. his diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm wondering, like, would Doc do that on his own? He always seemed like an honest person. Yeah, look. This is this is the story that they've that Mark Frost is spelling out that happened in the twenty five years uh, between season two and three, and so it is what it is. But wow, it was it was hard for me to accept that Hayward would have divorced Eileen, yeah. and moved away. I mean, I think he was such a loving father and he loved his daughters and certainly there was more than just Donna there. There was Gersten and Harriet and so, or maybe there wasn't enough to support for me the idea that he would just divorce her and move away. Yeah. Just because yeah. he found out that 20 years earlier she had had a fling with Ben Horn and Donna was not really – you know what I mean? It, you know, it is what it is though. So Here's how I try to justify <laughs> it. So I justify it that it was actually Donna that broke them up. I, I want to believe mm. it. So Donna's in the house and she makes it so difficult to live in that house because she's mm. angry with her – she's angry with her mother for uh, cheating on her dad and she's, mm-hmm. mad, she's just mad at the whole thing. It's almost unbearable that it wasn't that they didn't love each other, but that maybe it was better. But Donna was yeah, getting old sure, by then. Sure. Yeah. She was older. She was like probably in her 20s. Right. She wasn't a kid anymore, so she could have moved out. At the same time, I think Do- <laughs> in the series, Doc seemed, knew, seemed to know about the yes. relationship, so I don't, yeah. I, I think he says it's something we've kept from you, wasn't right. it? I feel so like that. He so, knew all uh, along. Yeah, I know. It's hard to believe because they seem like such a good... A great family. They were such a wonderful family, and they seemed like they could go. Nothing could break them up. But yeah, I don't like this. Although you know, you you could imagine if this section was turned into a script, 
and uh, they, they, you know, they expanded the story, and, and David Lynch directed it. I could, I could certainly see how they could build it, and you would believe, you know, okay, this isn't going to work. They've got to, you know, <laughs> they yeah. can't stay together. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Frost has a lot of these like throwaway lines, like, like that are like one sentences, but it gives like. I know, it, it, it explains things. Like, Donna's mother's still confined to a wheelchair after a car accident nearly two decades ago. So I don't think we ever knew what happened to his, her mother. Like, we always Why was she, she in a wheelchair? She, why was she in a wheelchair? And yeah. In one sentence, uh, Frost basically just says, oh yeah, she had a car accident and that's what happened. The other one was like Johnny Horn, where had a, a degree of autism. You know, we didn't know in the series how Johnny got that way. And again, there was a scripted scene that got cut that explains how Johnny, or at least implies how Johnny Horn got to be the way he was. Uh, and, of course, that now is essentially eliminated. Well, again, if you accept the book fully as it is. So now Johnny Horn essentially was born with some problems and, and has to, had to live with them his whole life. But the scripted scenes implied that maybe he fell down the stairs or something like Audrey that. Audrey pushed him Remember or that? something. Yeah, yeah, it was actually could have been Audrey. And it was actually – it was a whole thing with Jacoby saying to Audrey's yes. mom – this is not from a fall that, you know, there's some, he was doing it in a way that it was a, something that he, you, uh, he had to make a breakthrough that was in the mind that he, I yeah. mean, I think they were trying to, right. they, maybe he had seen some kind of secret. So it was, again, was it connected to Laura Palmer or was it something that he had seen? Again, one of those plot lines that they just cut and it never developed. So it really, you know, it isn't legitimate. So Tammy uh, discovers that Benjamin Horn has been giving money every month to Lane Hayward, that he was continues giving money. And yep. I, that yeah. was nice that he was, was supporting cool. it. But it's interesting that, like, so Tammy's, like, saying Benjamin Horn's denied repeated requests for interview on the subject. But it's, like, later in the book, she actually does sit down with Benjamin Horn about Audrey. How about we talk about Annie? Oh, now we can talk about Annie. <laughs> now we can. turns out that she is actually a stepsister of Norma. It, this part got dicey for me. To me, it makes perfect sense that they would be half-sisters. You know, but doesn't it, they get into the point where they say uh, Norma's mom was her stepmom, too? Yes, can, Vivian. Yeah. That's where it got dicey right. for me, that little part. It, it doesn't do any – it's not like a big thing, but it's weird because – It's convoluted a little bit. It's a little convoluted, but it's fine. I can I can roll with that. It just eh, – it wasn't my favorite. You know what? It really is insignificant in, in the long run and when yeah. it comes to Norma's mother. I mean, yes, the fact that Annie is a fairly major character and connected to Norma that we kind of need to know how those connections – yeah, it, but I, I just kind of breezed through. I mean, I, read, I certainly read it, but I was like, "Oh, okay." He's going to explain now why we didn't get this information in the first book, and so I just was like, "Okay, well, you know, this is just as good an inf- uh, explanation as anything else I could think of." So, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, you know, it, it was it was fine, and I kind of did think in the past that Annie might be a half sister. Mm, of yeah. Norma's. I, I did, because of the different names, just seemed to me like that might be the, the best way of viewing her. So it just sort of confirms that. Yeah. And it was such an age discrepancy, right? Yes, I mean, yeah. Annie was around t- early 20s, and Norma, I'm sure she's in her late 30s at least, 40s, yeah. maybe. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that makes right. sense. It does. Annie, though, I mean, this is a big thing. This is one thing we, right. a big question. Well, one of the things too is that there was a whole thing about why did she commit suicide, and in the in the season two, she talks to Cooper very briefly about that there was a boy. Annie, I know how hopeless things can seem. I know about the dark tunnel you can fall into. Happened before I went away. Happened because of that boy. 
to me, I thought it was like, oh, it was something to do in high school, and she was bothered by mm-hmm. this boy, mm-hmm. and she slit her wrist. And in this book, mm-hmm. I, it seems like she, she was sexually assaulted by her stepfather. Yeah. But then I still trying to put it together. Could she have many relationships with men yes. that drove her over the edge? Because I, I think this was pills or something else, and maybe it was other times she... I, I feel like she probably tried to commit suicide multiple times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do you think, John? Well, it's interesting. I mean, the character is a, is a curious character. Anyway, I remember Harley Pate kind of laughing about the Annie Blackburn character, the way <laughs> they made her from a convent. You know, he, oh, he's yeah. like, it, it, <laughs> I think he was even like, it's crazy, it's crazy, but she was a convent. It was the result of that fast writing from a week-to-week, essentially soap opera kind of structure. And so Annie Blackburn comes in who is this sort of holy figure like uh, from a from you know a continent. And so Frost here in this book tries to make give us a good explanation as to how she ended up yeah. in, in that uh, convent. And it, it works for me. <laughs> you sure. know, yeah, you know, yeah. okay. It's hard to imagine she just volunteered, I'm gonna go. But she's gone to a Catholic school, I think he says. Right. And she has been, you know, kind of left home already. That works for me. Mm-hmm. And I guess ultimately, uh, the details about Annie's history, I don't know if I needed to know. Maybe it, it, it diminishes her a little bit by knowing all these details about her childhood. But what I was kind of happy about is we, we, we did have to find out what her ultimate fate was. And yeah. while it is not necessarily the happiest of fates, she's, she's not you know, herself, he does go to pains to say that she seems almost like at peace and almost transcendent, as if she's mm. left this world and has, has achieved some greater peace. That's how I read yeah. it, and I think that's what he was trying to convey, and that she says, I'm fine, and that she literally is fine. She's like Laura at the end of Firewalk with me. You know, Laura does find some absolute transcendent peace, I think. So right. I, that's, how, that's how I read it. Yeah. yeah. The week that it came out, you know, we were recording uh, here in the studio, and Brian, you shared with me, everybody knows this now, but you shared this with me about the I'm fine thing, and I don't know how I missed it when I was reading, but share Yeah, with- yeah, I mean, for, right away when I read that, it said that in the morning at 8 or whatever time in the morning. 8.38 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, she would say, I'm fine on the anniversary. And I was like, oh, well, she is speaking to Cooper because Cooper was really Mr. C. Well, Mr. C. The double. Because he did that in the morning. How's Annie? How's Annie? I'm fine. So I feel like she's... Just reliving uh, and answering Isn't that, that crazy though. But it's 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 a tongue in cheek yeah. of Frost to do that. But it's also interesting to see that this is happening. It's yeah. almost like Mark Frost is talking to David Lynch <laughs> through the book. Like they're having their own separate conversations, I'm fine. and you sync them together, uh, and they work. It's yeah. well, you know what? I mean, no, honestly, the, the last words of uh, of the original series are "How's Annie?" And so yeah. Um, yeah. Frost is giving us the answer. She's given us the answer. Right? She's, not, she's fine. She's fine. That's all we need to do. She's fine. How are you? I'm fine. I'm weird, actually. I'm disoriented. I'm not sure where I am, I mean. I know where I am, but it feels odd being here. I'm okay. Okay. Listen to me. I've been out of circulation so long, I've completely forgotten the social niceties. I mean, you ask me how I am, I'm not really supposed to say how I am. I'm supposed to say, I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Fine. Thanks. <laughs> and I question what is she okay. fine or is, is it some eerie, disturbing, uh, like, I'm fine? <laughs> like, well, she's comatose. I, you know, like, I, again, I know, I've only read it once, so maybe I missed some stuff. But I, my reading was that she was at peace. She was fine. Yeah. So I like that. I like um, that interpretation. Yeah. 
That's and what it I was interesting also to yeah. see that she hadn't really aged. But one of the actors to me, mm-hmm. uh, she still looks amazing. You know, Heather Graham still looks yeah. pretty young. Heather yeah. Graham, yeah. But she did try uh, to commit suicide again. I mean, she, her, you know, her. She was enormous care for a time. Yeah. 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 So, but, I mean, she did, she's had a rough, ever since being with Cooper. Her life has not been the same. Uh, no, before yeah. Cooper. Don't blame it on Cooper. Okay, the happiest you time know, she had in life was with Cooper. Yeah. I'll say it that much. I'll say it like that. I would love to have seen something different happen with that character. Um, this is okay. I mean, this, is, this is the explanation that Frost is giving. But it, it's always intrigued me that she was in the Red Room when Cooper became the good Cooper and Mr. C. She yeah. was the only one who right. came out with any information about that. And I, I guess it just seemed a real natural thing that either Mr. C was going to go after her and kill her because she knew something. True. Or that she was going to assist Major Briggs, you know, and, and provide intel on what had happened. Um, mm-hmm. it, it almost seems like a missed opportunity to some extent. Yeah. Um, I, I think there was a, a, a really interesting way they could have gone with her, and um, I, I held out hope for a long time while we were watching it over the summer that she was going to make a surprise appearance. Yeah, yeah. I think we all uh, did. You know, that, you know, and I, yeah. I, I had predicted that she would, and and uh, but I, I guess they just felt that their story was a different kind of story. So, yeah, yeah, now we know Annie, Annie's fine. She's fine. fine. But it's interesting, you think of any of the humans that have gone into the Black Lodge, none of them have really recovered or come back whole. I mean, it took. It took Cooper a long time to come back. Laura Palmer gets sucked away and she becomes Carrie Page, it seems to me, and mm-hmm. she's not herself. So I wonder if, if you go in there, you don't really come back yourself totally. Yeah. And I mean, that's what it seems like Annie, she's not quite there. Well, you know, there's an implication in season three that Diane went in there, too. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, she tells the story of how, you know, she came and then, yeah. you know. And then he took her to the convenience store, as she calls it, the gas station. But it's the convenience store. Right. And, I mean, Diane's a fascinating character, and I'm going to be writing about Diane. Diane, in some ways, is, is sort of critical to the entire story. She divides into different personalities, too, just what you were saying, Dan. She, yeah. You know, she, she, there's different Dianes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would argue there's many Dianes in season three, but that's maybe a conversation mm-hmm. for another time. And John, I think I've said to you, probably not off air, the only thing I missed of Wrapped in Plastic, I think you guys covered just about every single thing I could think of for, for Twin Peaks in Wrapped in Plastic. The only thing you guys didn't really cover much was Diane. Like, I would have loved to have an article about, I mean, then all we had was, was Cooper's... You didn't really have a Diane. We had we had had, uh, Cooper's audio book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right. Again, I've been really paying a lot of attention to Diane. It's so funny. I'm actually looking at a magazine, this French magazine that I got the other day with. um, I'm so glad you shared that on on the cover. That's awesome. Yeah, Yeah. I did, and I'm I'm looking at it right now as I talk to you. So I'm looking at Diane, and I, you know, Cooper's first words in the entire story in the pilot, you know, the pilot are Diane. That's the first word he says. He says mm-hmm. Diane. Now, and the interesting thing is, Diane is, is a heavy presence in season one, and they're using that story structure technique so that Cooper can have expository dialogue. He can speak to Diane, but he's speaking to the, to the viewer. And that's why they did it, so that we could convey a lot of plot without having to make it seem forced. Diane kind of disappears in season two in terms of the way you don't... There's, I think there's whole episodes that go by that Cooper does not talk to Diane anymore. Um, yes. I think he does near the end again. I think he, he 
starts talking to her. And then, of course, uh, he talks to her in Firewalk with me. So I just think, uh, and I think David Lynch was interested in, in making Diane a critical element of Dale Cooper's life and his story. And so she has a presence in season three. And, and Frost, uh, I'm not sure how much they really conferred on, on what or who Diane would be. I, I, I tend to think that maybe Lynch was sort of more driving imaginative force behind Diane in, this, in season three. And I said it only because Frost barely mentions her in this in this book, he does. Or, yes. I, I mm-hmm. say Frost, obviously, it's Tammy Preston, but, you know, it's Frost. And he kind of almost says, she's a mystery, you know. He kind of leaves, leaves that open. I, I'm kind of happy about that, to be honest with you, because yeah. I think yeah. um, episodes or parts 17 and 18 are just absolutely fascinating when it comes to uh, Cooper and Diane. So there's a part in here where it talks about Diane's transcripts of Cooper's tapes are redacted or modified, and we, basically we, we can't they're not a reliable source because mm-hmm. we have the Tulpa Diane who could have gone in there and messed mm-hmm. with it. And then we have like um, Fr- Frost went on to Reddit and talked and somebody asked, uh, uh, is Cooper's autobiography that Scott wrote back during the show's original run still canon? And Frost says the Cooper tapes might have had an unreliable narrative. So it's interesting. Like mm-hmm. he's basically throwing out his, his brother's book and saying, you, don't, you can't trust this book. He seems to do and well, he, Yeah, it's weird. It can't say any of the books are, you just can't, I mean, yes. it was already yeah. that way. It right. was already that way. The dates didn't match, which again, it's a minor thing, but the dates didn't match, and the Laura Palmer book, uh, you know, they're, they're good books. Yes. You know, they're, they're good, good stories. Um, they inform the narrative in a lot of ways. They embellish it. It's like, a, it's like adding spices to the, <laughs> to the, <laughs> the broth. Yeah. Valuable, especially the, I think the Secret Diary and I think Frost's first book, The uh, Secret History of Twin Peaks. But all of them don't mesh with what we saw on TV, and that's okay. We have an explanation for why it doesn't match. I didn't need one, but that's good. Yeah, or even I look at, we can even look at the last book, The Secret History of Twin Peaks. We had all these, you know, Tammy was using uh, Cooper's tapes, she had access to it, and, and so it's right. interesting to think like everything you've learned might not be true because we now realize we have. Topa, Diane messing around with things. So yeah. I still think that's right. interesting. And Frost giving out these little clues, like he in our interview last week, he did say the narrative of this, the final dossier, was reliable. Because she's an FBI because agent. Because she's an FBI. And, right, she but he have... said the last book might not might not be reliable. So it's interesting mm-hmm. he, he's going and saying these things about the books. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. The book does not address everything, which again I'm glad about. And yeah. so there's still ambiguity, particularly in the last two hours of the of season three, which um, I want it to be open. I want mm-hmm. I don't want it. I don't want either Frost or Lynch to come along and say, This is what happened and this is, you know, how it happened. Like that I can kind of go in there and play around and come up with some ideas and then someone else can come up with totally different ideas. And it's just sort of a, I won't call it a game because that reduces it, but it, it's, a, it's a work of art that draws you in and I think is valuable in the way that it uh, engages your mind on so many different levels. So Tammy basically discovers that uh, Laura Palmer didn't die? Well, she's having a mind wipe. Right. Like her, she's forgetting things and she's like, I'm so happy I'm writing this down. But she finds down. articles and she starts talking to people and they're basically Laura disappeared. Saying, right. Cooper went in there right. to find uh, missing Laura Palmer. I thought there was a possibility because they were keeping so much secret. 
yeah. about season three. We just we just we knew nothing. And I I know I spoke with a number of people just you know you know it's casual conversation and just said I would not be surprised if you know part one of the new Twin Peaks opens up and uh, Laura Palmer's still alive. Right. Uh, that she that she never died or that she dies in this one. She's now a 45-year-old woman, and she, she gets killed. And, and we got to find out who killed her. Certainly capable of believing that Prof. Lynch could just do anything and, and, were, and, and felt the freedom to do anything. And we don't know if she's alive or not. I mean, we yeah. really don't at the end of season three. I don't think the book—the book only says she went missing. Yeah, right. Um, the implication, of course, is that she was pulled away to either another world or another, yeah. or another place on another Earth. Time. Or, you know, Carrie again, Page. Yeah, yeah. yeah, she becomes Carrie Page, and and, um, and and of course, there's a lot of ambiguity there. There's a lot of ways you can read that. I I don't know. Uh, obviously, if you want to get to the ending of Frost's book, yes, it clearly indicates that there are different outcomes for some of the characters. That Leland, in fact, commits suicide a year later. He didn't, yeah. he didn't die in the in the sheriff's station like we saw depicted. Morris State, we don't know what happened to her. I I really like the way Frost talking about, and again, it's, it's Tammy Preston, I know, but I, I always just attribute it to Frost. You know, what motivated Cooper, what made Cooper do what he did, and that he had this sort of feeling that he wanted to save, he wanted to save his mother, and then he felt like he needed to save the women in his life. Is that, yeah. Isn't that what it basically established? Yeah. And so that, for me, that really fits in with my interpretations of season three, is that Cooper went too far. He should have stopped at a certain point in in 17 and 18, that that he actually got what he wanted at a certain point in 17, 18. I can't remember which one it is. So I think of them as one unit. Right. Uh, and that, but that he was so driven by a sense of responsibility that he went too far. This is my reading completely. And, um, and, and so when he goes to find Carrie Page and bring her back to Twin Peaks, whatever happened, I'm not sure I know exactly what happened, but but he shouldn't have done that. That's, mm. that's how I'm reading it. And I think Frost implies maybe that he was driven to do this to a fault. And yeah. um, I would say that we saw that depicted in, in the show. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I mean, Tammy seems to say he has this whole white knight syndrome of Cooper. Yeah. I mean, you look at it in Caroline, Annie, and Laura. Like, he seems like he always needs to help. And I think in the audio biography book there, I don't know if his mother was dying of cancer or what, but I think we did learn that his she mother did. was ill. And so, maybe, yeah, it does seem like it stems from a young age, him wanting to save people. And I, I buy that. I, do, I buy that with episodes yeah. 17 and 18. That Maybe it's him just wanting to save his mom. He couldn't save his mom, so he's trying to save other people to kind of right. make up for that. And maybe like, he could even pursue FBI. I mean, the idea yeah. that he could do good he in the He could do world. good and help people, yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, Lynch, I think, is very much interested in the flaw in a character and what and what that flaw, you know, the results of, of that flaw are in their lives and depicts, you know, these things. We see it in Lost Highway and we see it in Mulholland Drive and then, you know, we see it in Eraserhead. I think there's an element of that in, in Twin Peaks, and I think it's Cooper. I think Cooper... Uh, you know, you could consider it a great attribute of his that he wants to do good. He's a, he's a do-gooder. Yes. But yeah. it's also his flaw. And uh -huh. I think maybe potentially it was his downfall. I don't know exactly how I read the end of season three. But I think Frost is in, is in tune with that. I think he, that comes across in those, in those few parts in, in the new book as yes. well. I think they both were, were scripting the character. Perhaps he made a mistake. Right. Perhaps mm -hmm. he, he, he just... You know, shouldn't have done. 
she shouldn't have driven that car 430 miles. <laughs> 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 He's done right there. It's funny, so, uh, John. I feel like you've made this argument in season two, the finale of season two, that Cooper was a flawed character. That he he wanted to yeah. do good and he wanted to give his soul to you know for Annie to save. Mm-hmm. But in some way, he he was a flawed character and he maybe wasn't. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe yeah. his fear took over, and that's let, letting the double out. Sure. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's. I think that's what Lynch was interested in. I think. But um, there's so many different ways of, of looking at it, and and we had the original script, and why the original script didn't go the way it did. Of course, in the original script, well, Cooper is saved by an outside force, which is Laura Palmer. Yeah. And I don't think. I don't think Lynch is interested in that at all. He wants to be either somewhat overcome their 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 own internal issues and succeed or see how those internal problems cause uh, a failure. I would argue that Big Ed uh, is a success, that he, he, he stayed true to himself throughout yep. yeah. his story, and he, uh, Nadine releases him. And he goes to Norma, and, and Norma, uh, you know, is, he's uncertain when Norma's like, I can't really talk about that. And he sits mm. down and he meditates, and that, yeah. that's one of the great scenes of the season three. He's great. And yeah. I'm just using it as an example of, I think Big Ed stayed true to himself there. He did not, he does say, you know, give me a, give me a dose of cyanide or whatever, but you know, he, he, he sits there and he, he meditates, and he stays true to his feelings for Norma, and it, and it pays off, and he gets... The happy ending. I think Cooper doesn't quite get to that. I think Cooper in, in season two and then also in in season three can't quite fully trust himself. Yeah, uh, he just has to. He's driven by something. Yeah, so, I think, I think uh, anyway. about Big Ed. I almost feel like Big Ed is meditating, maybe thinking about like himself and like how can I better myself, Cooper. I don't know if Cooper takes care of himself. Like, you know, sometimes that's the biggest flaw of people that want to care about other people. They don't know how to care for themselves. And I wonder yeah. if that's Cooper's yeah. real problem mm-hmm. is, like, he doesn't think about himself. So he's always getting a night, good nest, uh, night of rest. He's always... He always seems I mean, very a, like a boy flaw. scout. Like it's a boy, boy scout, but I don't know if he know he under has good judgment in it. Yeah, when he comes to ladies, I don't think uh, he has good judgment. Uh, <laughs> here, here, here's here, I'm gonna I'm revealing some of the stuff that I've been writing for Blue Rose, but that's okay. And everybody good... out there, go buy it anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> We're all looking forward to uh, issue four. Your your uh, your follow up on the the guide of season three. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm so I've been writing a little bit about Dougie, um, and I kind of. Feel like Dougie is Coop, the good, pure, purely good Cooper, without that mental drive that mm. he has to go and solve a problem. He is just pure goodness, and he radiates goodness, and so everyone who comes into contact with him becomes a better person. Yeah, yeah. You know, they just they become better. They, you know, Anthony Sinclair is the best example, where he basically just you know falls apart, confessing, "I, I want to make this right." You know. Why? No other reason other than he got exposed to Dougie. And, and once Cooper's mind re, you know, asserts itself, comes back uh, into Dougie, then Cooper is still good. He's still good. He's, you know, he is that do-gooder. Yes. But now he's, he's, he's perhaps missing the things that were around him. He's, yes. he's moving forward, and he's not seeing what's, what's around him. That, I guess it's just sort of just a rough rating of how I'm 
I'm looking at it. I yeah. like that a lot. I mean, before I had a family, you know, I ha- I was, you know, I'm still driven with things, and I want to do all this stuff, and I'm always, I'm very, uh, I, when I, before I had a family, very selfish because it's like, oh, I gotta go see a movie, I gotta go do this, I gotta do that, <laughs> yeah. and boy, but like for me, my life changes. Like, I mean, it kind of reevaluate what's the meaning of life, and for me, it was family, and I look mm. at. I look at uh, uh, Dougie Cooper, and he, he realized mm-hmm. that. He realized that it was all mm-hmm. about his son and spending time with his son and building this relationship. So I don't know. I think there's something we can there's something we can learn from Dougie. From Cooper. Dougie, yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I think Dougie. You know, the more now that we've had time to foster, you know, when you're watching it week to week, and you're like, "Where's Cooper? Where's Cooper?" You know, it's kind of <laughs> that's, that's me. But, yeah. and, and, in retrospect, Dougie's stuff is so valuable. I mean, it really is an interesting. And obviously, there were forces that were protecting him. Um, I think um, you know the guy who comes up and shoots Sean Paul and Hutt out of nowhere was obviously protecting him. But he was good. There was no harm in. There was no bad in him. He was the divided Cooper. So he's pure good. He had what Cooper wanted. He had his family. He had yeah. this valuable thing. He had really, really valuable thing. Right. He had. He had friends, he had people who cared for him, he had a son, he had a good life, and, and that was that was it. I mean, yeah. that is that is that's a great thing. And so I think I mean I don't, I don't want to get too far in, into all this other stuff on season three, but I think Cooper may have gotten that when he comes out of the red room in Glastonbury Grove and Diana's standing there in, in the dark. I'm giving away yeah. all my theories and <laughs> but I think that I think I, I'm gonna write about this, but I, I believe that Cooper got what he needed right there. I mean, that was the Diane he needed. Yeah. Um, that right. uh, for me, that's one of the best scenes in the entire, in the entire run is that emotional contact between Diane and Cooper in the woods. She puts her hand on his face and they just look at each other and he says, is it really you? And it, it's just a connection that this is yeah. what I've wanted all my life. And the next thing you know, they're driving away and he's like, you sure you want to do this? And he goes, yeah. It's like, uh, oh, no, you should have stopped. Right there. Stopped. <laughs> uh, right there, you had everything you needed. Everything was fine. Everything right. Was perfect. And then he keeps going. Before we go, I wanted to talk about Judy. In the book, they they give us the they fact that Sarah, Sarah Palmer was the girl who got the yes. thing in her mouth. Um, right. I mean, how do you feel about that, John? Like, what, what's your takeaway on that? Um, I got mixed feelings about it. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I mean, I think when you watch season three, it was almost like, who else could it have been? It, it kind of had to be Sarah Palmer, given what yeah we what all thought that was going on. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, when we just had Firewall for me, I had this theory that Judy was Laura. Um, right. Uh, and it was an ambiguous thing. What is Judy? You know, what you know, and what are names and what are identities? And I kind of liked all of that. Now, Judy is very clearly defined as a very powerful force of evil. Uh, I guess I kind of wanted the mystery of Judy to, to stay a mystery. And, mm. and it's not so much a mystery anymore. It kind of gets a little reduced, I think. And, and you know what? It's such a tragedy, too. Sarah Palmer becomes essentially the, a worse bad guy than Leland was. Yes. So, um, although I guess it, it certainly seems pretty pretty uh, evident that uh, Judy is not completely defeated and certainly denied in season three. You know, she doesn't get what she wanted, whatever that was. Right. So, um, yeah. Frost does hammer it over the head, though. Middle name of yeah. Sarah is Judith. Judith. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, yeah. It's like mm-hmm. I'm clearly saying that Sarah Palmer is Judy. <laughs> can you? Can, we cannot right. make it spell it out any more uh, than yeah. that. I, yeah. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with her being Judy. I'm going to throw a weird thing out there, and everyone out there can can either just 
turn it off and say, you're crazy. But, oh, this is the John Thorne theory here, John. I'm ready. <laughs> okay. So Sarah Palmer opens her face in the bar. Yeah. That, that trucker. And there's that smile. Now, as far as I know from what I've seen on the internet and, and, and people have done more research, that smile is Laura Palmer's smile from yeah. the homecoming photo. It does look and like Yeah, people matched right. it up. So, yeah. So if that's Laura Palmer's smile and that's Judy inside Sarah Palmer, then Laura Palmer is Judy. So we'll just dun, leave dun, it at dun. that. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. That's pretty good, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the monkey says Judy, and yeah, I, I know, know you want to talk about monkeys, Ben. The monkey says <laughs> monkeys. Uh, Wait, it's an owl. It's an owl. <laughs> I'm not going there again. And Laura Palmer's out of time because she gets sucked out, and now all of a sudden she's Carrie Page. She's sort of like a, it's got that Wizard of Oz feel. Like she's or not. The, yeah. She. You don't know where she is. Or you look at what is the the whole golden uh, orb thing that is brought in? Seem, it could be brought yeah. in the same time as the uh, creature and the little girl and stuff. That right. Good to fight the evil. Right. Yeah. 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 So uh, maybe there's a good duty and a bad duty. I mean, you could go on and on. So Laura's the good one. And I, I. I mean, I. I don't think Frost is in any way steering us in that direction in this yeah. book, and, and the show really doesn't either. But there is a lot of curious material there to, to kind of wonder about. I mean, what was Lynch thinking when he did that? Why did he put that smile there? I mean, right. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to. No, he, didn't. he went out of his way to yeah. get that smile. I mean, this is the one we're going to use. We're going to use Laura Palmer, and we're going to put it inside. And like, okay, well... How yeah. am I supposed to piece that together? Yeah. <laughs> so I looked at the image recently. It made me think of it's like it's like the negative. It's like black and white. Like I think yeah. the hand is white mm-hmm. and the face is black. So it's almost like the polar opposite. So could it be like right? And could it be the doppelganger of Laura? Could it be the evil self of Laura yeah. inside? I don't know. It's just so many right. things. And we've seen and we've seen that evil doppelganger of Laura in the end of uh, season, season two. two. I mean, right. she, she screams at uh, you know at Cooper. Yeah. And there's, Meanwhile, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, right, exactly. So let's not forget that. Maybe there's something there. Maybe that there is a force. You know, that looks like Laura Palmer, that is, you know, really something to contend with. Yeah. So what happened to that doppelganger? We don't. We don't know, right? Do we, right? we don't see a Laura doppelganger in season three. So. Right. I think people talk much about this. You know, like at the very end of this book, Frost says, you know, in Tammy's words, we mustn't give up ever. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I feel like it's a message of hope. I feel like, you know, there's all this tragedy with these characters and mm-hmm. there's all this darkness and everything. But Frost wants to leave us with hope. And maybe in this time in our real life, in our society, yeah. I need hope. I need to believe that there's hope. Yeah. That, I don't know. For me, it's, it was kind of nice that he at least ended it on that. Yeah, yeah. I, I got what? the same thing. Yeah, And I will say this, too. I think there's a critical, critical line here that, you know, everyone, there's a lot of people out, out there who are like, well, there's too much explanation in this book. Or it, it took away. And I, I'm one of those people to some extent. I'm like, well, I kind of the season three stuff, I didn't want it right away. The season two stuff I love. But you're right. At the end of the book, I'm looking at it right now. I don't know what page number it is, but it's the last page of text. She says, there's only one redeeming feeling I can cling to uh, if I ever get that far. But when it's all stripped away and you realize that you're the only one who can put the pieces together yourself, mm-hmm. by yourself, alone, no easy answers from a book, mm-hmm. a song, <laughs> or a movie. Uh, that, to me, I was, he's saying, look, Here's what I wrote. This is some answers. But it's up to you. It really is. Yeah. I mean, it's up to you to piece it together the way you want to piece. I think Lynch feels that way, too, for right. sure. I think it's like, you know what? Here it is. It's rich. 
it's uh, open to many different ways of interpretation. And don't lean on this book or don't lean on this movie or show as the only way of looking at it. Figure it out yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Fox has said that before. Fox had a great quote way back in, in just after Twin Peaks had ended in, in the 90s. He said something about, you know, if somebody sees something in Twin Peaks um, that we didn't think about when we put it in there, then that's perfectly legitimate. If it's not what we intended, but that's the way the audience is, is reading it, then that's the way it is for that audience. We yeah. can't awesome. say it's not. So um, I think he still believes that. And I think with that last line there in the book, is it, it, it's trying to convey that to us, that yeah. uh, don't rely on this book as your, you know, it's, it's one really good way of, of looking at it, but it's up to you how you want to read it. And, and, and so that to me, like, you know, that I totally was, agree. yeah, okay, because, uh, yeah. I really like that. And John, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing here, and that's what you're going to continue to do in the Blue Rose which uh, magazine. When I can't yeah. wait for issue four to to read your guide, and, yeah. and you guys have a Ray Wise interview, and there's just so much good stuff coming out, and I, I can't wait to uh, read. Just so everyone knows, the Ray Wise interview is issue five. So that oh, excuse out, me, uh, issue five. You know, yeah, yeah. That that so issue four we've got in the works. It'll be out relatively soon, and and then five. Uh, is also, we got a lot already done for five. But there's a new subscription uh, package out there so that you can, it's the Log Lady special, what Scott called it, and that will it basically get you the 2018 subscription. So if you get that, you'll get all the issues that we're putting out uh, next year. Nice. So um, go go to bluehousemag.com and you can find out about it. We, we do have some material, you know, in the works. As far as issue six now, you know, we got some stuff already done. So, um some good interviews and and some good stuff, I think. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, John. Yeah, it was great you, talking. I, we could probably talk for hours on this in book. In 2018, <laughs> we got to come back to this book, I think, and yeah, dive think we in more. Yeah, we got to revisit it and yeah. stuff. But thank you so yeah, much. Yeah. yeah, and we've got the, the, the Blu-ray coming out in a month. But Ben, you and I are on that Blu-ray. Ah, yes, forever, are. forever. It's awesome. John, you a little bit more than me, but I, I'm happy for my one second of fame, and I can't wait to see uh, what you have to say again. Twin on. Peaks history, forever. Oh, uh, yeah. No. All right. Well, at least it's there. I'm kind of happy it's there. I'm very you can happy to. You can see yourself on the big screen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, John, for, for actually pushing me to uh, do that interview. That was awesome. Uh, <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. That was great. We're on the phone with Joel Baco. Hey, Joel. Hey, guys. We are talking Mark Frost, the final dossier. What did you think of the final dossier, uh, Joel? I enjoyed it a lot, actually. wasn't sure what to expect, but it seemed to kind of be what a lot of people thought the secret history was going to be, and I think it was kind of welcome at this point in Twin Peaks. Like, if you're going to have kind of an epilogue, I think that's kind of the way to do it. As fun as the secret history was to go off on all those tangents, to kind of hone in on those characters in the town sort of the big mysteries and meditate a little bit on it before kind of letting go. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So what do you think about the fact that we get maybe confirmation of who built the glass box? You know, it was Mr. C all along and he's the billionaire. I mean, did that that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think that kind of just fulfilled what a lot of us suspected. I think I enjoyed a lot of the town stuff the most. Finding out about characters that we didn't find out about on the show um, I know people have criticized the Annie stuff. I, I got something out of that. I think I think it was sort of it worked, and um, the Donna stuff. 
I, I think similarly was kind of satisfying to hear more and just explore those avenues. Um, I think it becomes a little more problematic in both enjoyable and maybe antagonizing ways when you get into stuff that is dealt with on the new show and you kind of yeah. get his take on it. You have to kind of work out where that ends and Lich's begins or if they're just sort of two separate viewpoints or what. How is it like that Jerry Horn and Jacoby were friends? Like in season two, you yeah, had the whole those were fun to read. Line. Yeah. And then in season three, you have Jerry uh, watching uh, the podcast. We get a little more sense of Audrey Horn in the book. What do you think of uh, oh, Mark Frost's yes. take on Audrey Horn? Yeah, I think that's one of those problematic things where it's sort of like he's dealing with something that we got on the show so now whatever he says about it is going to somehow alter or play off of or contradict what we might think from the show i thought it worked because it was vague enough like it gave us a possibility that charlie might actually be a real person hmm. but also that what we saw on the show may not have been reality but it may have been based in reality it does demonstrate that at least you know in his view she was not in a coma this whole time Actually, it's funny, you know, I didn't get to finish that Salon article, but I did, right before I started talking to you guys, I did see an interesting quote, which was, they asked him about room for interpretation with Audrey, and they said, is this something that you and David discussed? Because it's elaborating on a really crucial scene from the show. And his answer is, I would just say that what's in the book is just me responding to what's in the scripts, and I'll leave the rest to the reader. Yeah. So essentially, it's it's him almost as a viewer in a way, you know. Lynch sent him this material, and this is his thoughts on it. Because we know that it changed from what they had originally intended. So it's, this is him responding to a Lynch thing. I want to say a few weeks ago, the Austin Film Festival, Mark Frost was on a panel. And he actually mm -hmm. said in the original script, Audrey was working at a salon. That was part of the original script, and then they threw it out that whole storyline, but he actually said that that was part of the script. So he, he seemed like they still took that concept and put it into the final dossier. Yeah, yeah. And it's also interesting to think about her character should have been what her mom did. Son beats you up for drug yeah, money. Yeah, no, that's what it was. I'm 100% positive. Yeah. Yeah. They had to rewrite in that. this whole thing for her and create this other kind of uh, world right. that Audrey has to live in. It's very interesting. And before she saw the script, I mean, this came out at uh, the UK festival. I think she basically said, uh, when David told her she was going to be part of it, he's like, I want to be in every episode. Yes. <laughs> and, like, I think Lynch <laughs> laughed. And it's like, she had no idea how the concept of this show, of this yeah. new series was. That, like, everybody had bit parts, basically. Nobody was going to be in every episode except for Cooper. Yeah. Whatever they intended, it just feels a little too cruel. And I'm kind of glad they went with what they, they did. I agree. Yeah. I really, it just... It's too much. Right. I don't know. I mean, who's to say? And who's to say what it would have looked like if she'd sort of gone along with it? But it's uh, it almost feels like Audrey kind of becomes the scapegoat for fan conceptions of the show and not wanting to go in that direction. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. It's like because she's the ultimate example of the fan sort of something taking on a life its own and maybe being a little over-romanticized and too nostalgic and stuff like that. But it's like punishing the character in a way for – and the actress in a sense. But yes. you can't get too far into that stuff because then you you know you have to tell the story you want to tell. But I'm glad – personally glad it worked out the way it did. Yeah. yeah. I think this and material is more interesting and more – better tribute to the character in a way with well still not just being something that's fan service because so many fans didn't even like it <laughs>
Right. Yeah, yeah. And this book seems to hint at that she might have gone into a mental hospital or some yeah, kind of facility. They hint that they she hinted that she closed yeah. down the salon and then that she maybe went Came into... Came a shut-in or something. He brought it into line a little bit with what they'd written, but probably not the major thing that was changed. Or the major thing that she objected to and was supposed to be her arc or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. You know we Hopefully t- someday we get to read those scripts. Someday. I would love that. I really yeah. do. I don't know how. It seems like it's going to be so much harder than it was, you know, twenty five years ago. Now it's like yeah. they're so protective of those scripts yeah, that yeah. that's a little frustrating in a way. I put it this way: in absolutely no way, shape, or form is it even like is the frustration even sort of one percent of the reward of of you know them creating the new material? Um, at least in in this sense of frustration. But it is a little frustrating to know that because of the way the old show happened, a lot of information was sort of able to come out about how it was made. Almost if it had ended more better or something like that, that stuff wouldn't have been available. But it's like because it was like, oh, Twin Peaks is over and this bitter feeling stuff. The good side of that was that, you know, all this material got out there pretty easy. We're able to read scripts. We can read scripts for the finale right. that was changed. Yeah. That, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure if they had their way, I, I, I don't know that that script would be available, you know? Right. Um, and I don't know that it's ever even been officially released. It's just out there, easily accessible. So it's frustrating now, in a sense, because they're much more conscious of wanting to sort of guard the process, and it's just the two of them now, too, that part of me feels like we're never really going to get to know anything. I'm actually really excited with all the stuff that has come out in the past few weeks. Yes. So that's a relief. I thought this was kind of funny, actually. He said in the interview with you guys, Mark Frost, that him and Lynch don't really like to talk about who did what. Yeah. Yeah. But Lynch has been doing that actually quite a lot. Yeah. So I almost feel like somebody should like tell Frost and then maybe he'll be like, oh, okay, well. I thought the same thing. I I actually took it as almost like Frost is being humble. Like he doesn't want. He is. I think that's what it is. It's so funny. I almost well, it's, edited it's that out. Humble, I almost it's like, sort of, no, I'm glad you left it in because it's it's sort of revealing in a way. I, I think I don't even know if it's humble so much as just sort of like a, an honor code kind of thing. Yeah, like, I got okay, it like well, that. This is the best way to do yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, Lynch is out there with a lot of stuff, and I think even Frost has sort of and Sabrina Sutherland have said, "Well, actually, Lynch did this or this right. or that." So I would, I mean, maybe the difference is. For the most part, not exclusively, but for the most part, Lynch is talking about things that he created after they finished the script together. Yeah. So maybe he feels like, well, it's different to talk about stuff that we sat and created together, and maybe it's even kind of hard to parse who did what. Right. But, you know, I think of it this way. He, he loves the Lennon-McCartney analogy. He uses mm. it a lot, and he yes. talks about the White Album and how different people contributed different things. John Lennon did an interview at the end of his life. I think it was that interview with Playboy Ah. right before he was killed. He just went like song by song. He was like, that one's Paul. This one's me. Wow. I said this. I did this because of that. No, that one's all Paul. No, this is me. And like, I so want them to just do that with (laughs) characters and stories and just be like, yeah, Wally Brando, that was me because I'm interested in like loose. I mean, some of this we can figure out for ourselves. I you do know. kick myself that I feel like if I if I had phrased the mm. question better, I would have. I don't it. know. Like, I don't think you did anything wrong. There. I think that's kind of the answer he wants to give right now. I'm, yeah. I'm, he's revealing a little bit here and there, right. but they like to let the mystery be. But there's some things that I I, <laughs> I think the mystery can still be, and we can still have context too. 
Definitely. But that's mm-hmm. just me. I like that sort of the history and the analysis of it. I like knowing concrete things. Yeah. You know, along, yeah. along with the mystery yep. where there are concrete things to know. Yeah. But that's just me. <laughs> there's so many interesting stuff. There's, you know, there's share of Harry Truman. We get more information about him. Which was really nice. Yeah. 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 He left. I was, I was really struck by how much he left open if they want to continue it. Mm. I mean, I, I tweeted out, I think the first thing I tweeted out after I read the book, I don't think we've seen the last of Twin Peaks. My initial reaction when the show ended was, well, that's it. That's how they chose to end it. Um, but that's also how I sort of was thinking of it for 18 hours. Mm-hmm. So that's obviously, it's not like something about the ending made me think that. It just was like, well, obviously this is the ending. For the most part, maybe there were a few little things. But but I think the more I think about it, the more I hear people talk about it. And now that this book is out and everything, it's just, there's so much left open. Like they're mm-hmm. clearly, and, and they've even said, not this is an ending or this ends. It's, yeah, we could do more. Yeah. Like this it's, it's there's no sense that like they designed this as something that had to be an ending. Um they designed it as something that could be an ending. Right. Yeah. But I don't know. And am- so the reason I bring that up with the final dossier though is just there were so many little details of things that it was like we're leaving this open. Like even the Annie thing really yes. was left open. Um, Harry was left open, like he's fighting, he's still fighting the, the, the cancer, you know, right. and it's, I feel like everybody's mm-hmm. on board. I mean, Sherilyn Fenn said Lynch wanted to do more when we talked to her. I feel like everybody wants, you know, Kyle McLaughlin wants to do more. Every, every cast yeah. member, everybody I've heard wants to do more. And I keep thinking to myself, it's about funding. Like if, if, if Showtime or people will say, yes, we'll give you more money, I feel like they would do it. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, I, I think, don't think they'll give them as big a budget, though, this yeah. time. Although apparently it wasn't – some people feel like it wasn't that big of a budget. But it – I don't know. It was certainly more than they initially wanted to give. We know that. Right. For sure. Maybe not as many episodes. Yeah, I could take a half, I don't, half of that. Yeah, <laughs> we can eat a good <laughs> nine, a movie. ten. Yeah. <laughs> or a movie, yeah. Yeah. That would be like almost the most suitable. I just uh, – I don't – it's hard for me to imagine it being as ambitious as this series was. Yeah. Right. I just – I don't think it would have as many people. I don't think it would be as many places just it, instinctively. You right. know, I think whatever would follow would be more focused. I, I would love – I would love a movie – it's tough. I mean here's the thing too is like I wonder how much – you know, because I've always felt like Firewalk With Me found the form it was supposed to have. Um, and I know Sabrina Sutherland sort of said that thing about, gee, maybe he would consider recutting it and stuff like that. And if you watch The Return, it's like it's this sprawling, sprawling story, you know, and, and Lynch likes to have all this material. It seems like a lot of his later films, they just they jog between all these different characters and storylines, certainly Mulholland Drive, certainly Inland Empire, and certainly now The Return as well. They go between all of the – and Wild at Heart – um, did it actually in a way too, I think. Yeah. Um, maybe a little bit less than the others, but still, like, that kind of set the template that a lot of stuff has, has followed. If there's more Twin Peaks, I kind of want it to be a little more focused. Like, this was perfect for what it was, right. but if we go back and now we're back and it's episode one of, you know, the return part two or whatever the heck it's called, <laughs> and it's like, okay, here's a scene with Ben and here's a scene with Jacoby and here's a scene, with, it's, I don't. I mean, look, I'll go along with whatever they give, but yeah. at that point, I'm start to get, I'm gonna start to get a little frustrated 
Or even that, I'm thinking like you don't want like it starts off in Russia and it's like what? <laughs> I do feel like yeah, it would have yeah. to come back. Hyper focused mind that, but yeah, <laughs> like a hyper hyper focused on Cooper and Carrie Page giving yeah, that's us. Why I feel like it's got to be a movie. You know? Yeah, like a movie about like what's happening with these two because it's like a whole new journey now. Yeah, and we don't need to know much about the town because yeah. we already got that. I mean, yeah, you know, my ideal would be and this won't happen this isn't lynch's interest in structure i don't really think it's frost either totally to be honest although he kind of does this with the dossier actually is to have two two entities one like sort of a a long movie or something or a little mini series and then another maybe a little longer series and the shorter one would be focused totally on like the carrie and coop adventure it would basically be like sort of episode 18 was where you followed one singular storyline that went through these different incarnations but other than that visit to Janie E, maybe that's about it. We just spent all the time with one character's kind of journey, you know? Yeah. Sure. And then I would want the other longer show to be visiting all the townspeople. And this is where Frost would theoretically come in maybe a little more. I'd more like like sort of a short story concept where each episode, and I think we talked about this before, like each episode is a different character and you just sort of follow there yeah. a little that open would be arc because cool. yeah. I'm sure they wouldn't close it off too much, but you follow their sort of story through this episode. Um, but Lynch likes to cut between these different things. It's just something that he seems to be really consistently interested in yeah. is yeah. juggling these different stories. So mm-hmm. that's his thing. And, you know, I don't always find it, the most satisfying approach of, of all possible approaches, but that's what he does. So you kind of take it or leave it. <laughs> Except for 18. It's funny how he, he did that throughout all these parts. Right. And then all of a sudden we get to 18 and we've got this road trip and it's just these, basically these right. two characters. And yeah. it's funny to, to go all these, this all this way mm-hmm. through this journey and all of a sudden like, okay, now we've got this single story and you're just going to have <laughs> Cooper and Carrie go yeah. on their journey together. Well, because oddly enough, I mean, for everything everyone says about him, he is good at endings, Lynch. He, he loves the sort of sprawling stories, but he always threads the needle at the end. It's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mulholland Drive is the most infamous example, but again, Inland Empire and the Return, this sort of trilogy now in a way of sprawling, sprawling multi-character stories, um, and Wild at Heart perhaps to a little bit lesser extent because they're all sort of more directly connected to Sailor and Lula than the other stories are connected to whatever. Mm-hmm. But they're still like, we're going off on this thing, we're going off on that tangent. We got this little character vignette, and you know, he had what, two hours of deleted scenes from Wild at Heart, so it'd probably even more that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but he does know at the end, okay, it's time to sort of build some sort of climax. It's going to be an open one, but it still comes to some sort of head. You know, we're talking about how, you know, we won't, who knows if we'll get the scripts, but at the same time, we're getting all this information from cast and crew. What's really exciting is that Blu ray is coming out and we're going to get six hours of content. We don't know what it is, though. We know, I think we've seen a piece of it. We yeah, saw, we behind saw, the scenes. We saw David Lynch directing Kyle and Laura Dern. Dern. And I think we're going to get a bunch of that. There's going to be these That's vignettes awesome. of like David Lynch directing and doing stuff. That's I don't know. That cool. to me is really exciting yeah. to get the behind the scenes of the series. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like that's mostly what it is, right? Yeah. Because it's not deleted like, scenes for the most part. Not, I, I haven't heard anything about deleted scenes. It seems behind yeah. the scenes. I feel like we saw it all. 
<laughs> you know, just That's what Sabrina Sutherland said, I think. Yeah, I think we saw it all. But you never get to see what Lynch had to say. I mean, like, what... I mean, you never get you get to see behind the yeah. scenes of what yeah, Lynch yeah. is doing. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then what else they have? They have a few other documentaries to get on back onto the dossier. What did you think of the ending? After reading it, I was like, okay, so Laura didn't die; she disappeared, and something's changing history. And even Tammy Preston. But you know, talking to John and you know talking to Ben, and everything, I kind of take it as even Mark Frost with his AMA and everything. It's sort of like. This is one person's perspective, and I kind of look at it, you know, I read I read a lot of comics, and I don't know if you read, like, The Elseworld by DC, hmm. which is, ju- they take well-known characters that have these stories, you know the mythology, and they give it a different spin, and it was kind of a big deal, because you're, you're changing history, and I kind of look at Twin Peaks like an Elseworld scenario, this book stands as a different kind of like version of Twin Peaks and yeah. I, I I don't want someone to tell me exactly what that ending should be I want my opinion like John was saying we all want our own opinions and thoughts and I don't want someone to tell me I don't want Lynch or Frost so the ending of the book I took it with a grain of salt yeah. I just I, I enjoyed it but I don't perceive it that way I took, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. I feel that way to some degree. It's funny, like, seeing the uh, episode, uh, well, I guess it would be 17, 18, but seeing, you know, Cooper holding on to Laura and all of a sudden she vanishes. And during that whole time, we're seeing uh, Pete go fishing and yeah. Laura's body disappear. Yeah. I wanted to believe, like, <laughs> I don't know, I just couldn't handle it. So I had this belief, like, oh, it's only when he's dragging her that life is changing. But when she disappears. Yeah. That's what I that took was When she disappears, she ways. still dies. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. That's what I believe. But that was my instinct book, in some ways. Yeah, this book. This book seems says, to say, oh, no, I'll she's s- gone missing and Cooper only came because she went missing. missing. And first of mm-hmm. all, like, my heart dropped. It's like, oh. Uh-huh. It's like, oh, that's you're 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 definitively saying this. That's scary. It's scary because you're basically saying the first two seasons didn't exist or something. Yeah. Or, yeah. So that's tough. But at the same time, I enjoyed it because I, I mean, I still like the idea of like this foggy memory and like yeah, is is Judy or is other people making them? Is Judy changing it? Like, did right. did it really happen? Right. But is something causing this lapse of memory? Yeah. Because in season three, it's interesting. There was a lot of lapse of memory. Now, now uh, Joel, I, I'm oh, sure. Albert and Cole. Yeah, Albert and Cole. But Hawk. Hawk, to me, was the glaring, weird absence of memory. Now, in season one or two, I, you guys will correct me, Hawk explains to Cooper about the lodges. He's very knowledgeable about this. Yes. When he's talking to, um, uh, um, oh God. When he's, Log lady? No, when he's talking to the sheriff there, I can't. Frank Truman. Frank Truman. When he's talking to Frank Truman, he is like totally clueless. I don't believe that. He has a whole map. He, he has, the, he says, no, I don't want to he talk was about knowledgeable his- about the map. But he had no clue about the lodges. Like he could have. What? He, he could have explained the lodges to Frank, but he doesn't. He seems I very. Don't think, I don't think Frank was at the point where he'd understand the lodges. I know, he but I kind of feel like Hawk 
just seemed kind of out of sorts to me. I took. I don't know. Yeah, it's funny because you say that because like, you know he he's talking with a log lady and he does go into the woods and he sees the red curtain. So I feel like he knows the gateway yes. into the lodge. So I feel but like I, that one scene just stuck stuck out. And then you have Albert and Cole going. I can't remember that. Yeah, That's, that was really interesting. So it, what that, do you think, Joel? Yeah. Because I heard Bickering Peaks mention this too. So just to be clear, this idea that maybe the show itself actually represents some things that are sort of from this alternate world or something. Yeah, yep. Okay. I can't really go in that direction, I don't think, because um, it's hard to say this about Twin Peaks because it's like already kind of complicated and messy and open to multiple interpretations and stuff like that. I think sometimes we make things more complicated than they are, and I know mm. I certainly do that yes. a lot of times with theories. And, and even while the show was running, this idea that we all had that gee, maybe Las Vegas is actually in another wor- universe and they're not going to cross paths, and then, of mm. course, they did. Yeah. And at that point, I think I kind of realized like, a lot of things are somewhat straightforward about uh, Twin Peaks, as strange as that sounds. So I don't think – I think it makes sense to sort of take certain things at face value. Yeah. What's and the not memory build thing? up too much. I guess to go, to go to the book itself, the most interesting things I think about that section of the book are like the most ambiguous and the least interesting things – are where he's least ambiguous in some ways. Mm. Giving us this sort of alternate history where Cooper came to town because Laura was missing, um, there's some interesting things about that. You know, I think when he gives you an alternate thing, that's interesting. So, like, for example, telling us Leland killed himself a year later, uh, that's that's interesting. That's something sort of new, like what would have happened if he hadn't gone down this path. And just speaking personally, that's something I'm very interested in because I've always kind of wanted to tell a story like that. And I haven't quite gotten myself there yet. But like telling a story where you see that, you know, like almost a choose your own adventure thing. You see yeah. where the different paths lead. At this point, we have to acknowledge there are things in the book that are just accidents and mistakes. Yes. God bless him. He's trying his best to sort of keep all these balls in the air. But there's like blatant contradictions that are not – you can't smooth them away as being like in alternate dimensions in a single paragraph or something like that. Like I there's like just he just like doesn't care. Years are he, off. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think he devotes that much time to that type of thing. I think he does try to get it right but also is not like – he's obviously not combing over it to make sure all the dates are correct and stuff. He just sort of writes it – this is my guess just yes. based on how it comes off. He writes it. He tries to keep it straight in his mind, and then stuff kind of slips through the cracks, and he's okay with the possibility of that. Is my guess. Yeah, that's I. I think we've. I mean, first of all, when the heck does it take place? Twenty sixteen or twenty (laughs) seventeen? And And twenty fifteen or twenty fourteen is twenty five years later. Yeah, yeah. The whole whole thing is kind of you know. I think at the beginning of the book they imply that it's twenty seventeen and it's a year after these events have taken place. But then the book ends and she's like, "So I'm still in town. It's been three days. Wait a second. (laughs) I've been here for two years. Yeah. Yeah." It, it seems to sort of be what it needs to be when it's convenient for it to be that. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that's okay. Yeah. But I think it does get – I think we all have to be willing to take some of that with a grain of salt mm-hmm. and not Definitely. spend too much mental energy trying to figure out how we can uh, justify it. Because, I, I mean, I always go back to the Robert Jacoby thing. That just was like, okay. <laughs> the guy who was like born in like – 
who was like a, a teenager, a third grader, and a college student, like all at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you actually like trace what he's telling you through the story, it yes. just was like. So you were log you you were writing about the log lady in the newspaper while you were her third grade classmate. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, yeah, so you kind of have to take it lightly sometimes. You know, the, the very end of the book, there's like one last picture. Well, right before, there, there's actually a blue rose. But before that picture, there's this image of Bob and the woodsman and I believe the Sarah, which kind of looks like the Judy or Sarah, like Sarah with a, I don't know, she's got, she's kind of that. It looks the, like the jumping man almost. Yeah, it's like the jumping man uh Sarah image. Yeah. What do you guys make of that? Like, that's like one of the last pages. It's like, it's almost like the the, the Trinity or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, the Trinity like the, of Darkness. A darkness, yeah. Yeah, Bob, the Woodsman, and Sarah. Yeah, it's sort so, of. But we learned that in this in the book that Judy is Sarah, it seems like. It seems to be Sarah Judith Palmer. <laughs> yeah, how would you take that, uh, Joel? Did you like that? Or was it too much information? I loved that. The, the fact, you're talking about the fact that, um, she was the the girl. Yes. Yeah. Now, did you say her middle name is Judith? I yes. believe that's what they said. I her middle totally name. So, I, mean, I think that's great. In the book, <laughs> her Ross name is hitting us over the head. Yeah, that she's that, Judy. Yeah. That's something I wanted confirmation on, and I'm glad we have it. I, I understand the attraction of it being sort of ambiguous, but I think there are certain things. I think Lars Killer was one of them, where when you actually find out the answer it's more powerful than when it's just sort of a dreamy mystery as powerful as that is on its own Mm -hmm. Um, and that was so that was one of those things i just thought that was that was really cool to get confirmation and i know some of the stuff he said this was my reaction to david writing something or saying something i get the feeling maybe i'm wrong but i get the feeling that this was something they'd actually discussed and were both on board with, but Lynch just didn't want to put it in the series. I could be totally wrong mm, about that, makes obviously. Sense. Yeah. But it just it when he discusses it, it sounds like something that wasn't like, hey, I think it would be cool if this was Sarah. As like, oh yeah, we came up with the character as Sarah, and then we just you know we wanted to leave that to your imagination in the series, but give you enough evidence as it went along that that was her or something. Yeah. So another another interesting thing is, um, of course, all of the Judy stuff, and uh, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's sort of continuing that sort of retconning where it's like Jawadeh was this ancient being. People have looked it up. They're like, yeah, there's no Sumerian god. Jawadeh. <laughs> <laughs> It's totally, which also I think makes it obvious, even more obvious than it was already that Beelzebub is obviously he's trying to tie that into Bob. There's no other reason yeah. to bring that up. I like that. Yeah. Other than to point to the similarity in names. And then where does the woodsman fit into all it. this, I wonder? I mean, like, is he just. And they really said that that stuff happened with the woodsman and everything in the book, that this stuff really happened. Part of me wanted that not to, like, like to it, be. Yeah, I want it to be more like oh, the way I take it. I still take it this way that when yeah. that bomb went off, that 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 was sort of like mankind's downfall. Hey, the evil men, that men do. Yeah, the evil yeah. thing that men do. And I saw metaphorically, it's 
this is just going to be a ripple effect on our society and our culture and the way we are. And that's how he took it. But th- this book says, no, an event did happen. Well, it these... did. It's real life. No, well, no, no, with the woodsman. And uh, a oh, part yeah, of yeah. me didn't want, like, the woodsman thing, I always took it as, like, a metaphor. I think it could be both. Like, yeah, a, yeah. like a parable or an allegory or something. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Right. Yeah, well, that's how it's Geeks kind of is in a way in yeah. general. Yeah. You know? So it's hard to say where one begins and the other ends. Well, we've had this debate forever with Bob and Leland. Was, yeah. was Leland This was, is a new Bob and Leland debate, <laughs> yeah, right? right? So I mean, Yeah, I like that. But we got confirmation that that was Sarah Palmer who was right. that little girl. Right. Which I you know, I go back and forth. I'm glad we know. It was kind of cool that we know, but it would have been kind of a cool mystery not to know. I kind of see it both ways in that one. And you can still have it that way. You can disregard this book that's and true. say that's not Lynch's vision and it's still a mystery, or you can take Frost's take on it. That's true. I mean, so how, about, yeah. how about this? Um, I, this was something I heard on Bickering Peaks, too, because I listened to them today. There's a question, I guess, of whether the experiment is really Judy. Um, a lot of people take it for granted that it is, but um, they were saying, no, this experiment maybe is like Almost like the mother, the the mother, the create the creative force behind Bob and Judy, hmm. um, which also makes sense if you view because I mean even the name the experiment, it's almost kind of like the embodiment of the atomic bomb in a way. Yes, and the, yes. Yeah. The thing I like about that sequence is the implication that the spirits are almost like yes, it could be opening a doorway or whatever, but it's almost kind of like man created these spirits. Yes. You know, they're actually, which goes back to the idea of, of Bob sort of being a function of Leland, not just being this like possessive being, but being sort of like a manifestation of of him in some way. Mm. So now anyways, though, if the experiment isn't Judy, then the question is, who is Judy? And is Judy what's possessing Sarah? Yes. Yeah. And is it that, that bug creature? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it has to be the jumping man because yeah. the bug creature has – its a, obviously it leaps. That's a, one of its things. It's got frog legs mm. and it's got a long pointy nose. When you look at it, it's really hard to see. But when you look at it up close or pause it or whatever, it, it has like a long mosquito-type nose. Yeah, interesting. Yes. And then when she takes her face off, um, there's like a little – something pokes out really quick and people have paused it and said it looks like the jumping man's nose. Hmm. And um, and then, of course, the big giveaway is there's a scene where Cooper goes into the convenience store and you see the jumping man and Sarah's face is stretched out over it. For yeah. A few yes. Yep. I like where you're going, Joel, with this. And I, even to go one step further, if we go to Firewalk with me and you have yep. Yep. The, the monkey saying Judy, before the, mo- the monkey, you see the monkey, you see the mask, and yes. that mask has a, a long nose. nose as well. It's the same mask a little boy has yeah. that's jumping around what Leland is in right. the parking lot. Yes, yes. Yes. Right. I think you got some. I think that's a, so maybe one, a running theme. one thing behind the mask is Pierre Tremont, which people – I've sort of theorized maybe it has something to do with Leland or who knows, you know, but then the other one might be the monkey, which has something to do with Judy or saying, you know, I don't know. But then also the other, so the, another thing is the first creature we see in that whole sequence is the jumping man. Because when he comes in and says, you know, who do you think this is there? And the other reality starts bleeding over or we're seeing oh, yeah. a flash or whatever. It's the jumping man that introduces that. 
Yeah. And then comes into full focus. So the thing with Judy that I had fun doing was I said, well, you call it the jumping man, but what if it's actually the jumping lady? And then if you take out all the middle letters, that spells Judy. Ah, (laughs) very nice. Wow, I like that. Yeah. Jumping lady. Uh, I don't think that's what they, I don't think that's what they had in mind, but it's kind of cool that it works that way. It is. Yeah. For whatever reason, his imagination, Lynch's imagination, I, I, have a feeling it's more Lynch than something that was in the script because it's such sort of offhand moments. Yeah. Um, almost all in post-production, I think. Seems to have been drawn to this idea that the jumping man figure has something to do. I always took the jumping man from Firewalk With Me like mm-hmm. a metaphor for this darkness of sickness to um, move from one person to the next. Mm-hmm. And I think like Leland had that sickness, and it wanted to jump to to Laura, and it wanted Laura, and it almost had her, but it couldn't get her. And I kind of feel like maybe I see that metaphorically jumping to Sarah and living with the ultimate darkness that her daughter's dead, her husband's dead. She's living in pain and sorrow yes. all her life, just drinking and trying to escape and hide. And I kind of felt like that was the that that's like it feeds off of that. It's like it's like festering, and it's yeah. like she she becomes this ultimate power that would be Judy because it's like the ultimate pain and suffering you're living through it. Yeah, we yeah. we talked with the counter Esperanto some time ago, and I think we were talking mm-hmm. with Jubal, and that's what we were kind of saying is like, could it be that this creature was inside Sarah the whole time, and it didn't really it grew. It grew, but yeah. it didn't probably grow until Laura died, or now we she went missing. Whatever happened, it wasn't until this incredible great sorrow that uh, it all of a sudden took over her life, and and probably grew over. You know, twenty five years or something like that. Yeah, and kind of the same thing with if we if we believe maybe Leland Palmer. Leland Palmer might have been molested as a child, possibly, and it maybe with those type of things de- dealing with that darkness that this whole idea of Bob grew inside him in some way to take you know, yeah, because of the evil that people do. Yeah, and you're suppressing it instead of um, trying to figure out how to make yourself heal. Right, you're suppressing it, and, and then they're that... healing it through drugs. And yeah. Alcohol. So what? Yeah. What do you think would be the case with Sarah then? With that, what sort of the correspondence with the supernatural event that we see? Well, we know the supernatural is the bug got inside right. her child. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So what's the psychological kind of correspondence with it? I guess I'm saying that we, with Laura, if Laura or had died or gone missing, that would break the human being of that. Like my child is gone. Then that, her like, husband's gone. Yeah, she's broken. Right. So yeah, that, yeah. And that would lead to alcohol and abuse and abuse of your own self, and that maybe that would almost, it almost be like a fracture of the brain and somehow, like, your mental st- stability. Mm-hmm. How do we relate it back to her own childhood or adolescence and the bug entering entering her? Like, what is the sort of... Well, I th- for me, it's kind of, it's, what I would go with is, oh, I'm I see what you're saying, right. Yeah, how about it, the bug? What, but what, what is... Was she, was something tragic happen to her as a child that wasn't a bug? Was she... God forbid, was she abused or something like that? Like you're right, you're right. You need to have not a not a supernatural element, but was something in her own life. Well, just if we're analogizing it to sort of that reading yes. of, of Leland and Bob, and what is the we don't get enough of, of that life. I mean, it seems we don't have enough of that town or that culture to really get a sense of 
the girl. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it was all on Leland's side. Well, but wasn't Sarah Palmer's mom something? Wasn't she like a... Well, I mean, there was going to be a backstory that she was going to be a witch and her sister was going to be a witch, but that storyline never panned Yeah, out. so we can't use that. that. Uh, I mean, Until now, kind of. <laughs> right. But yeah. interesting, so where was you her parents? you got the pointy nose. Funny that we never saw the girl's parents. Like, mm-hmm. she had a, little, a boy that walked her to her house. She went inside. Yeah. She sat down, listened to the radio, but there was no supervision that whole time. Or yeah. we didn't see. Yeah. We didn't see, but yeah. to take that, that, it's interesting to say, why is she allowed to walk the town by herself and then not even have any interaction with her? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Interesting, yeah. When I watched it, it definitely felt like it was related to some sort of like romantic or sexual awakening because it follows immediately from the kiss with the boy. and ah. But that was sort of a positive thing or so it seemed in the light of that. So I don't know if it's sort of like a... Just Lynch's sort of, sort of like dark view of sexuality in general that often seems to be the case or mm. what. But um, it, what, it didn't seem coincidental that they set it up with that whole little sequence of her walking home with the boy. Which also, just side note, I think I might, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but it is funny that she sees a penny and she picks it up and mm. she's like, oh, penny. And that's when we see like the copper looking Lincoln lookalike come yes. down from the sky like right yeah. after that. Got a light. Got a, exactly. And usually picking up a penny is good luck. Yes. Well, I mean, it has Lincoln right on it. Is yeah. Yeah. The, and the actor played funny. Lincoln. Yeah. Uh, right. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I look at it though is like the town seemed innocent. We're we're what is it? we're in the late forties. Mm-hmm. It feels like an innocent yeah. time period, and yet maybe it's almost like innocence is gone lost. now. We, we yeah. lost of that. We have real violence. I mean, we're now past the nuclear bomb. I mean, there's right. real. And we Bad have things. drugs. We in, in, in the present day Twin Peaks, we have a drug epidemic, and the book tells us there's a prison built in Twin Peaks. It was right. the Ghostwood yeah. Ghost Ghost State. Wood State. So I always thought it was going to be like a shopping mall, or it was going to be a country club. Yeah. It turned out to be a prison. A, prison. a prison. private prison, being they, they basically are there to make money. Oh, I mean, well, yeah, a lot of privatized. them are. Privatized. privatized. Yeah. And I, I know Frost was trying to make a statement about that, that like... You know, you ha- you don't have good. They don't care about the people. They're just there to make money. Money, yes, yeah, incentivizing to make just to make money. One last thought about you know Sarah Palmer in that bug. I uh, see. I took it as um the seed uh, enters her that's going to curse her for the rest of her life, just like Leland meets Bob or someone in that woods, and kind of curses him. So maybe these two cursed people meet. And they have a child. This is why it would be interesting to see who came up with what and how their discussions unfold, like the process behind it. I mean, I don't think he's even revealed yet, unless it's in one of the interviews I haven't finished reading yet. Like, what was the idea he came to Lynch with? He hasn't said that. I mean, True. I kick myself that I didn't ask. I mean, he mentioned it. He said it on our show. He says, yeah, I brought. I had this great idea about bringing the show back, and I brought it to Lynch's attention. I kick myself that I didn't do a follow-up question. I wonder if though. I don't know. Do you think he'd say, though? He wouldn't say. They, you're, no, you're absolutely right. They he wouldn't, wouldn't say. <laughs> he wouldn't say that, yeah. Yeah. But I wish I had asked. Maybe, I feel like maybe he'd tease it or something. He'd say, well, it has something to do with this, and then. But he wouldn't say. It's hard to imagine him just coming out and being, oh, it was Dougie in Las Vegas. Right. Know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, he did say he really enjoyed doing – I think we said both Lynch and him both yeah. really enjoyed doing the Dougie Cooper story. Yeah. That was Which, probably more of like a solution they came up with when they were like, you know, how do we tell an 18-hour story about Coop getting out of the lodge? Yes. Mr. C and all that. 
Yeah. I remember thinking to myself, is he, yeah, because like you, to be gone for 25 years and all of just bring him back, you think you need a transition. And so it yeah. kind of makes sense. It was a long I transition. I thought it was going to be 16 exactly. parts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it gives them like a comical outlet because they always, they wrote these sort of wacky comedy ideas together. Yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one saliva bubble and all that. Like it's very much in that spirit. So. I don't know. I'm still questioning. I think my first reaction after the show was like, I'll bet if I go back, like the Dougie section, if you look closely, kind of unlocks almost like the secret of the show in a way. Yeah. And I did. I then did rewatch it and um, I didn't really feel that way. It hasn't, whatever it is, if there is some sort of like, that's the key to the return. I, I don't know if I see it yet. It feels more just like a frequently insightful, often hilarious, somewhat tongue-in-cheek way of extending the store. If we got a season four, even if we didn't get a season four, even if we didn't get a season four, it's, it could unlock the secret of Carrie Page because we saw, we saw him go into someone else and he had to escape and figure out and, and break uh-huh. through. Well, what if when Laura got sucked out of the Red Lodge, she was placed in, into this person called Carrie Page, and she's been living this life, and she doesn't know who she yeah. is, just like Cooper didn't know right. who he was in Dougie. Yeah. And what if that? What if that whole story was to say, okay, you you understand how this works now? We can give you another character just like that. Yep. Yeah, and it could be Carrie Page, and you Laura's, don't need you Laura's don't need Dougie. all that now. You, Laura's Dougie. Yeah. Right. What if Laura's right. the new Dougie? And now, yeah. if we got a season four, it could be uh, Cooper trying to get through and figure out. Right. Well, figure out a what's going on, and b, okay, maybe I know, and the audience knows, so they have more information. We have more information yeah. about it, and how how can we break through to Laura? Sure. That's a theory. Yeah. That I, like I mean. That. That, yeah, that's sort of. Know. I think that's where all a lot of minds are kind of going in terms of where where it could go. I mean, I do think it's interesting to ask what Carrie Page's relationship to Laura is. Carrie Page probably went into the lodge and disappeared, and now Laura's living in as this new person, just like but then, Cooper right. was. Somebody would have had to person. create him. Only, yes. the, only in the sense that there was a there was a topa. That's I mean, what I'm saying. But it was manufactured. To be yes. Cooper. What if what if the lodge? Why would they need a? What why if would they the, make a need a Carrie Page topa to hide Laura? All right. What if what if so, they were hiding Laura from not being killed? I yeah, I could buy that. Maybe I could buy that because she disappeared. Here's she the issue killed. though: in the credits of Part 18, Cheryl Lee is credited as Laura Palmer and separately as Carrie Page. Whoa! Yeah. Whoa! So really? That always kind of affects my thinking a little bit. Wow! Um, along with questions of kind of well, there's Laura and this, you know, which universe are we in, or yes. are we in one, mm-hmm. or this or that? Some of which the book kind of. I don't want to say settles, but it gives us one answer to. Which, I mean, so to go back to that, yeah, I mean, I, I think we talked about it before. I think several, I know, I think Brian was on the same page as me. We all kind of preferred this reading that, and that, yeah, Ben, you were just saying you're on the same page too. It's like this reading that Firewalk with me is still like this sort of the single ending, and this was actually yeah. just mm-hmm. something else entirely. But Yeah, Tammy does know that Laura died, but then all of a sudden she's like, I looked at the paper and it says this. Why? 
Yeah, the like where does people. that memory come from? Yeah, the and towns- why does she have it and they don't? Yeah, and then all of a sudden she's saying, "I'm starting to forget things now." Near mm-hmm. the end, like I'm, I'm losing my marbles here. I'm forgetting things. Um, I wrote it down, thank God. And yeah, it's weird. Anything else you want to share with us, Joel, about this book? Any final thoughts? Well, it, it, you know, it's interesting to to consider uh, in relation to Firewalk with me because I don't know if Frost ever really went back and engaged totally i could be maybe he did quite a bit but i don't know if he really engaged with firewalk me that much i suspect he just watched the missing pieces because hmm. he keeps whenever people ask him about firewalk with me that's what he brings up and pretty much everything in the series other than lynch just reusing the footage um from part 18 like everything in the series is from the missing pieces the ring yeah. the jeffries and judy um, Garmin Bosey has barely in it at all. So it feels like that was more the text he was focused on. Like maybe he did, you know, he probably did go back and watch Firewalk with me just in terms of preparing for writing the ending where he goes back and rescues Laura. I, I would imagine. I could be wrong though because they could have just, you know, said, well, just put in the script, you know. I have my doubts. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's interesting. So you know, so Mark Frost. It seems like he, he he had this idea, whatever this idea was, to bring Twin Peaks back. He goes to Lynch around the same time. Lynch is actually working on the missing yes, pieces for yeah. the Blu-ray, which we're getting. So he's very much into the missing pieces. So he, I feel like Lynch is the one that's bringing in some of this missing pieces stuff. And talking with Frost, he doesn't seem like he's watched any of the series again. He hasn't gone over the scripts. He, yeah, he watched the final episode with David, and that's yeah, about it. I, yeah, he's yeah. talking. Well, about, he like, did say. He saw the missing pieces, though, and he, okay. he yeah. somebody asked him. I think it was Brad Dukes, maybe, and he said, um, "So David Lynch has said, you know, firewalk." I can't remember what the question was, but he goes, "Have you reassessed sort of firewalk with me or something?" And his answer is something like, "Well, I I saw the missing pieces, and they really clarified a lot for me. It seems like the Jeffries Judy stuff and the ring, and maybe that footage from the end, you know." Like, that's what appealed to him much more than sort of telling Laura's story and maybe the Deer Meadows stuff. Although, obviously, you know, they wrote Carl Rod into it and stuff. But it seems like he was more interested in the potential of the lore. Yeah, he's good at the lore. So that in itself is interesting. It says to me, especially if he never even has watched it since 1992, I don't – and, you know, a lot of us who have watched it a bunch of times, we kind of struggle with the ending and – I think I've sort of come to my conclusion of why it's, uh, you know, I, I feel like she rescues Renette and that's a huge turning point. Um, I think for him it's just dramatizing what they already knew from the series. So he's, I don't think he's that concerned about, this is just my guess, mm-hmm. I don't think he's that concerned about taking Laura away from her fate in Firewalk with me because I think he sees it as purely tragic. Huh. That's yet, just me, a I guess. Think of those angels in the, in the Black Lodge that, that, that somehow yeah, she's won right. and that she, yeah. she, she's actually she's saved. Yeah. I would think Lynch, that means something to Lynch as well. I'm not sure what in relation to what he does in the new series. I think for Frost, I don't think that aspect of it would be something that would give him pause because I don't think it's something he feels particularly engaged with. Hmm. Just that's my read from a distance yeah, from yeah. from his comments on it, stuff like that. I don't think he sees Laura as a heroine, basically what I'm saying. Yeah. And that's I, a different take than at least where Lynch was in 92. So the combination of those two things in the end of the series is is interesting to contemplate in that light. Hmm. 
Hmm. And it's funny you say that, Joel. As we said earlier in you know in the ninety one script of, of episode twenty nine, yeah. you have uh, Laura right. saving yeah. Cooper. I mean, like, so it, it, I'm guessing it's yeah, probably Mark. Okay, Foss's let book. me rephrase that. Yeah. I think he might see her as something of a heroine because she's in um, in episode sixteen, which he co-wrote. He says, you know, she was too strong; she wouldn't let them in, and everything like that. But I don't think he sees her as a protagonist in any sense. Uh, hmm. You know, I don't think yeah. that's his his. I mean, we know he didn't want to make that movie, and didn't want to participate in it. So that's it's just interesting to sort of have these two people writing this together, referencing the film that Lynch made without Frost, <laughs> in which quite probably one of them actually sees Laura as a being at least having that sort of potential of being a protagonist, and the other one doesn't so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. You know? It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. They, they right, so each have all. their own strengths <laughs> about the story. Right. Yeah. They have different takes, and yeah. but somehow they make it work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's why they make a good team. Right. For Twin Peaks. But they give us something to struggle with, anyways. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, Joel, what are you working on these days? I know last time we talked, you were working on your, your, your characters. Are you still working on that? <laughs> yeah. I came up with a whole methodology for it. So, right now, I'm at the stage where try and do it for a little each day here and there. I've still got the Showtime app, so I'm going on there and I'm getting screen caps to illustrate everybody's entries. Nice. But in order to make it manageable, I basically had to break down all the scenes, the characters who were in it, and figure out, going through the series chronologically, which shots I wanted to take for which characters for which sections. So it's like a whole process. So I'm still kind of bogged down in part one, but I'm going to illustrate them all. And then I'm going to go through and watch the scenes and write this stuff. So very structured. The dossier definitely confirmed. So the Sarah and the little girl, the little girl is part of Sarah's entry, which is what I wanted to do anyways. Ah, I'm excited to see that. (laughs) Cool. Well, thank right. you so much, Joel. Yeah, I mean, thank it was you. great talking with you. I love that we went on a tangent on all kinds of. <laughs> it was a great stuff. conversation. It was, it, was, it was almost like a uh, expanded Lost in Twin Peaks here. Thank you, John Thorne, and thank you, Joel Bacco, for being on today's show, and thank you for everybody who listened and enjoys our show on a weekly. We appreciate the feedback. We appreciate the comments. Keep it coming at Twin Peaks Unwrapped at Gmail dot com. We always love to hear from everybody. And I'm exhausted from the show. <laughs> It was a lot to take in. It is a lot. I right. like, like I said to Joel, I am more confused <laughs> than I have ever been before. But I love it. I love it. Then you really are a Twin Peaks fan. You gotta right? love the confusion. You gotta love the confusion. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so much fun. Yeah, and so you know, next week we're gonna have Andreas on for our Thanksgiving Day week, which is gonna be really cool. Uh, and then at the, we're going to round, we're going to kind of uh, slow down at the end of the year, and we're going to kind of dive into David Lynch's short films. David Lynch's short films. films yes. Which is going to be very exciting. But in the meantime, you can follow us at Twitter. How's Twitter? Twitter is awesome. We have a great community. I love the, the stuff that they're doing. I love the support of, like, the, the 119 that was going around uh, in all social media. And Twitter just upped the characters. So now, Ben, you don't have to sit there and think about what we have to write. I mean, you can get it all in there. It's like 240 or 80 characters now. 280, I believe. 
I was writing a tweet, and I was like, well, this is strange. I've gone past my one, 140 characters. And I was like, I'm just going to write this and hope I can send it. And I sent it. It's like, that's very bizarre. Yes, I know official. I went more than 140. It's like, Twitter's broken. I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> you hacked Twitter? <laughs> no, you didn't have magical powers, Ben. Wow. No, that Twitter has... Sometimes I can barely write 140 characters. Now i got to get 280? Oh, I think you'll do it. I'll do it. You'll I'll do, do it. it. At this person, at this person. Yes. And I'll just like use them all. Yeah. So cool. Also, Facebook, uh, you know, we get we get uh, a lot of uh, people are posting stuff and sending us messages on Twin Peaks Unwrapped on Facebook and liking us there. Thank you. Keep it going. How is Facebook? Oh, always good. We always get some messages here and there. I'll be reading a couple over the next couple weeks. Um, we're still getting the likes and people are still engaging. It's a lot of fun. A lot of fun. And also, on iTunes, please give us that five-star review. Nice little comment. goes a long way for us on iTunes. We're also on Google Play, Stitcher. If Stitcher's your thing, I don't even know anymore. Um, but we're there. And YouTube there. is so cool. Yeah, I mean, and we're still YouTube. getting a lot of great comments and feedback yes. from it. I still see people, uh, Mulholland Drive uh, pilot <laughs> that's so, out there. Yeah, you know, people in the U.S. are like, huh? You know, we do have... Uh, Mulholland Drive, the uh, ABC pilot post on there. You can't watch it if you live in the U.S. You have to live outside the U.S. So if you're going outside of the country, check out YouTube and you can our YouTube channel, and you can check out the the original ABC pilot of Mulholland, Mulholland Drive. Drive. It's gotten a lot of hits, and people are really digging it. And um, it's a hard to find. You can find it out there somewhere. I don't know how we did, but we did. And uh, yeah, if you're in the U.S. or Germany, you can't watch it, but everywhere else you can. Now, now there's people saying, what do you mean? I want to check this out. People <laughs> who are in the, in the U.S., they're like, thanks a lot, guys. I know. <laughs> sorry. Um, so that's a little something for the U.K. fans. Um, so that, yeah, YouTube has been great. We've been loving that. Um, also, next Friday was Black Friday, and the following is Cyber Monday. We're going to have... There's going to be a sale going on on our Public page. The link can be found in the show notes, also in our social media. Um, you can find the link. I will be definitely putting it out there. There's going to be sales going on those two days, probably that weekend. Store-wide sale. We're going to be digging up some of our old logos, our old shirts that we found, extras of, putting them up there just for the holidays, and hopefully we can sell out of them, and 2018 will give us new new things. Awesome. But uh, we're gonna drag out the old stuff. You can buy. You can. You. you I don't know if this is how it really works, Brian. <laughs> it is, and it's not only shirts, people. You can get hoodies. You can get cell phone covers. You can get mugs. You can get stickers. There's a lot more than just t-shirts. And, and thank you to all the people who are really yeah, doing that. That really support does support us. us, and that we appreciate. It. The money goes back to the show, so it allows us to keep the show online because it does cost us money to do so. And um, some of the people who contribute, it will also pay them a little bit. And um, so it does it does come back to us. Awesome. So we That's appreciate really cool. it. And it's a great gift. Uh, you got a big Twin Peaks fan? Yeah. We have Christmas some cool logos up. on there. And, you know, we also, on, in our merch store, we also have other people's uh, logos that, that are from other Twin Peaks people. If you buy someone else's thing on our storefront, 
you know, we'll get a little commission, but those people will get the money. You're supporting them as yeah, well. Yeah, the artists. That's the awesome. Artists. That's and we, so cool. I handpick the people to put on there. So you do. You, it, do. you do a great job, synergy. Brian. I have nothing to do with that. That's all <laughs> you. I appreciate all the work you put into that. Yeah, Thank you, Brian. It, yeah, you're welcome. It's fun. Um, but, yeah, we're going to be dragging up the old stuff. Uh, Mr. C... Uh, over the over top, the top. top I love that very one. popular shirt. Yes, I found a box of it under my bed. Under, <laughs> maybe people don't want it under I, your bed. I, 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 I brushed off the dust <laughs> and I was like, Oh, we gotta put these back in the store. Brian has nothing in his house there. No yeah. way. The Dougie shirts I found in my attic. I was yeah. like, We gotta put those back out. So, uh, <laughs> the long lost uh, Dougie shirt, Dougie shirt are back. Yeah, just a limited time. Yes, uh, so check that out. That's Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Awesome. And I guess we're out of here, Ben. Another great show. Another great show. Every episode ends with starring Kyle, Kyle McLaughlin, so they don't have to say uh, who's... Yeah, they don't say who he <laughs> That's is. That's a good point. Yeah. It never says as this or that. And I in the branches that blow the free